28, it is these at her leisure, so that her population is fairly well assimilated, though evidences of the old mixture can be discerned, in Corsica and Sardinia a particularly low cephalic index, dropping in some communes to 73, and a particularly short stature point to a rare purity of the Mediterranean race, and indicate the maintenance here of one ethnic type. Despite the intermittent intrusion of various less pure stocks from the Italian mainland, Africa, Phoenicia, Arabia, and Spain, the location of the islands off the main routes of the basin, their remoteness from shore, and the strong spirit of exclusiveness native to the people, bred doubtless from their isolation, have combined to reduce the amount of foreign intermixture. Islands do not necessarily derive their population from the land that lies nearest to them. A comparatively narrow strait may effectively isolate. If the opposite shore is inhabited by a nautically inefficient race, whereas a wide stretch of ocean may fail to bar the immigration of a seafaring people, here we find a parallel to the imperfect isolation of oceanic islands for life forms endowed with superior means of dispersal, such as marine birds, bats and insects. Iceland, though relatively near Greenland, was nevertheless peopled by faraway Scandinavians. These bold sailors planted their settlements even in Greenland nearly two centuries before the Eskimo. England received the numerically dominant element of its population from across the wide expanse of the North Sea, from the bare but semen-breeding coasts of Germany, Denmark and Norway, rather than from the nearer shores of Gaul. So the Madeira and Cape Verde Isles had to await for the coming of the nautical Portuguese to supply them with a population, and only later, owing to the demand for slave labor, did they draw upon the human stock of nearby Africa, but even then by means of Portuguese ships allowing to the power of navigation to bridge the intervening spaces of water and hence to emphasize the accessibility rather than the isolation of these outlying fragments of land. We often find islands facing two or three ways, as it were, tenant on different sides by different races, and this regardless of the width of the intervening seas, where the remote neighbors excel in nautical skill. Formosa is divided between its wild Malay and Origines, found on the eastern, mountainous side of the island and Chinese settlers who cultivate the wide alluvial plain on the western side, Fukien Strait, though only 80 miles wide, sufficed to bar Formosa to the land-loving northern Chinese till 1644, when the island became an asylum for refugees from the Manchu invaders, but long before, the wider stretches of sea to the south and north were mere passwalis for the seafaring Malays, who were the first to people the island and the Japanese who planted considerable colonies on its northern coasts at the beginning of the 15th century. See map page 103. In a similar way Madagascar is divided between the Malay and Hovas, who occupy the eastern and central part of the island, and the African Sokolovas who border the western coast. See map page 105. This distribution of the ethnic elements corresponds to that of the insect life, which is more African on the western side and more Indo-Malayan on the eastern. Though the population shows every physical type between Negro and Malayan, and ethnic diversity still predominates over ethnic unity in this vast island, nevertheless the close intercourse of an island habitat has even in Madagascar produced unification of language. Malayan speech of an ancient form prevails everywhere, and though diversified into dialects, is everywhere so much alike that all Malagasies can manage to understand one another. The first inhabitants were probably African, but the wide Mozambique current 230 miles, with its strong southward flow, was a serious barrier to fresh accessions from the mainland, especially as the nautical development of the African tribes was always low. Meanwhile, however, 
successive relays of seabred Malay Polynesians crossed the broad stretch of the Indian Ocean, occupied the island, and finally predominated over the original Negro stock. Then in historic times came Arabs, Swahilis, and East Indians to infuse an Asiatic element into the population of the coasts, while Portuguese, English, Dutch, and French set up short-lived colonies on its shores. But despite this intermittent foreign immigration, the fundamental isolation of Madagascar, combined with its large area, enabled it to go its own slow historical gait, with a minimum of interference from outside. Till France in 1895 began to assume control of the island, small Thalassic islands, at an early date in their history, lose their ethnic unity and present a highly mixed population. The reasons for this are two. The early maritime development characterizing enclosed seas covers them with a network of marine routes, on which such islands serve as way stations and mid-sea markets for the surrounding shores. Sailors and traders, colonists and conquerors flock to them from every side. Such a noble location on commercial routes ensures to islands a cosmopolitanism of race, as opposed to the ethnic differentiation and unity which follows an outlying or oceanic situation. Here the factor of many-sided accessibility predominates over isolation. The prevailing small area of such thalassic islands, moreover, involves a population so small that it is highly susceptible to the effects of intercrossing, too restricted to absorb the constant influx of foreign elements. The inhabitants tend to become a highly mixed, polyglot breed, this they continue to be by the constant addition of foreign strains. So long as the islands remain foci of trade or strategic points for the control of the marine highways, Diomed Island in Bering Strait is the great marketplace of the polar tribes. Here Siberian Chukchis and Alaskan Eskimos make their exchanges. The Eskimo of St. Lawrence Island in Bering Sea, from long intercourse, have adopted certain articles of dress. The boats and part of the vocabulary of the Chukchis, Kilwaru, located on a sandbank at the eastern end of Sarong on the border between Malayan and Papuan Island districts, is the metropolis of native traders in the Far East. Here gather the prows of the seafaring divis bringing manufactured goods from Singapore, and boats laden with the natural products of New Guinea. The smaller these island marts and the wider their circle of trade, the more mixed is their population. Thursday Isle, an English coaling station in Torres Strait, is a port of call for all steamers bound from Europe or China for East Australian ports. Besides being a center of a big local trade in pearl shell and tripang, hence its population of 526 souls comprises 270 euros of various nationalities, including British, Germans, Scandinavians, Danes, Spanish, Portuguese, French and Australians of European origin, besides 256 South Sea Islanders, Papuans, Africans, Philippines, Chinese and other Asiatics. Antiquity shows the same thing on a smaller scale, which grew, however, with the expansion of the circle of commerce. Ancient Aegina in the Saronic Gulf received inhabitants from Crete, Argos, Epidoros in eastern Argolis and Athens. It became a central maritime market and its people sea traders, whose goods of a certain small kind became known as Aegina wares. Delos at the crossroads of the Aegean was the center of longer radii. It became the inn for travelers and merchants sailing from Asia and Egypt to Italy and Greece, and hence drew to itself the trade and people of the whole Mediterranean basin. The northwestern Indian Ocean had a similar emporium in the ancient Dioscorides, Socotra which focused on itself the trade between Arabia and eastern Africa, 
Ceylon's location made it in ancient and medieval times the common meeting place for Arab traders from the west and Chinese merchants from the east, it thus became the Sicily of the semi-enclosed North Indian Ocean. Today its capital Colombo is the Clapham Junction of the Eastern Seas, where passengers change steamers for China, India and Australia, a port of call for vessels passing from the Straits of Malacca to the Persian Gulf or Mediterranean, hence Ceylon's solid nucleus of Singhales and Tamil population. Protected against absorption by the large area of the island 25.365 square miles is interspersed in the coastal districts with Arabs, Portuguese, Eurasians dating from the old Portuguese occupation, and some 10,000 Europeans. The island of Gotland, located at the crossroads of the Baltic, was early adopted by the Hanseatic merchants as their maritime base for the exploitation of Swedish, Finnish, and Russian trade. Here were peoples of divers tongues. So the old chronicles say, while the archaeological finds of Byzantine, Kufic, Roman, Anglo-Saxon and German coins testify to the wide circle of trade whose radii focused at this noble point of the Baltic, the great importance of such islands has been due solely to their location, their size and resources are negligible quantities, but their natural position as way stations lent them preeminence so long as navigation held to short, laps, and was restricted to enclosed seas. In the wide expanse of the open ocean, similar sparsely scattered isles, like Ascension, St. Helena, the Canaries and Hawaii, assumed importance in proportion to their scarcity, though never the centers of rife intercourse like Delos and Gotland, those lying conspicuously in the track of commerce have succeeded in drawing to themselves the typical polyglot nodal population, Mauritius, located at the southwestern entrance of the Indian Ocean about equally distant from modern, Ceylon, Bombay. Singapore and West Australia, and possessing the best harbour within many hundred miles, has been held successively by Dutch, French and English, and today has a dense population of French, English and Hindus, a situation at the northeast entrance to the Caribbean Sea, keystone of the vast arch formed by the Greater and Lesser Antilles, made the island of St. Thomas a natural distributing point for this whole basin, facing that much-travelled verging passage and forming the first objective of vessels bound from Europe to Panama. It became a great ship rendezvous, and assumed strategic and commercial importance from early times. We find the same political owners here as in Mauritius and in the same order Dutch, French and English, though in 1671 the island was occupied by the Danes, then from 1807 to 1815 by the English again, and finally secured by the Danes. The history of the Falkland Islands is a significant reflection of their location on the South Oceanic trade route, where they command the entrance to the Magellan Straits and the passage round the Horn, here on the outskirts of the world, where they form the only break in the wide blank surface of the South Atlantic. They have been coveted and held in turn by the chief European powers having colonies in the Orient, by France, Spain, England, Spain again, England again, by Argentine in 1820 and finally by England since 1833, their possession was of especial advantage to Great Britain, which had no other base in this part of the world intermediate between England and New Zealand. Islands located in enclosed seas display the transitional character of border districts. They are outposts of the surrounding shores, and become therefore the first objective of every expanding movement, whether commercial or political, setting out from the adjacent coasts. Such islands are swept by successive waves of conquest or colonization, and they carry in their people and language evidences of the wreck left behind on their shores. This has been the history of Aegina, Cyprus, 
Rhodes, Crete, Malta, Corfu, Sicily and Sardinia, that of Cyprus is typical. It was the first island base for the ancient Tyrian fleets, and had its Phoenician settlements in 1045 BC. From that time it was one of the many prizes in the Mediterranean grab bag for the surrounding nations. After the decline of Tyre, it was occupied by Greeks, then passed in turn to Assyrians, Egyptians, Persians, Romans, Saracens, Byzantines, and in 1191 was seized by the Crusaders. Later it fell to Egypt again, but in 1373 was taken by Genoa, in 1463 by Venice, in 1571 by the Turks, and finally in 1878 was consigned to England. All these successive occupants have left their mark upon its people, speech, culture and architecture. In the same way Sicily, located at the waist of the Mediterranean, has received the imprint of Greeks, Carthaginians, Romans, Saracens, Normans, Spaniards and Italians. Its architectural remains bear the stamp of these successive occupants in every degree of purity and blending. The Sicilians of today are a mixture of all these intrusive stocks and speak a form of Italian corrupted by the infusion of Arabic words. In 1071 when the Normans laid siege to Palermo, five languages were spoken on the island, Greek, Latin, Hebrew, Arabic and vulgar Sicilian, evidence enough that it was the meeting ground of the nations of Europe, Asia and North Africa. Polyglot multitude tells the same story of successive conquests, the same shuttlecock history. Almost every language of Europe is spoken here, but the native Maltese speech is a corrupt form of Arabic mixed with modern Italian and ancient Phoenician words. The whole island is ethnographically a border hybrid of Europe and North Africa. The Channel Isles are today the only spot in Europe where French and English survive side by side as official and commercial languages. French and Italian meet on equal terms in Corsica. Chinese, Japanese and Malays have traded and warred and treated on the debatable land of Formosa. Biro, Ka, and other small archipelagos of the Bandasi link together the pure Malay and the pure Papuan districts, between which they lie. From the border character of many islands there follow often far-reaching historical effects. Like all border regions they are natural battlegrounds. Their historical episodes are small, often slow and insidious in their movement, but large in their final content, for they are prone to end in a sudden dramatic denouement that draws the startled gaze of all the neighboring world. It was the destiny of Sicily to make and make the fortunes of ancient Carthage. Ceylon, from the dawn of history, lured traders who enriched and conquerors who oppressed peninsular India. The advance of Spain to the Canary Isles was the drowsy prologue to the brilliant drama of American discovery. The island of Tsushima in the Korean Strait was seized by the forces of Kublai Khan in 1280 as the base of their attack upon Japan, and when in 1857 the Russian bear tried to plant a foot on this island. Japan saw danger in the movement and ordered him off. Now we find Japan newly established in Sakhalin, the Elliot Islands and Formosa, by means of which and her own archipelago she blankets the coast of Asia for 2200 miles. This geographical situation may be productive of history. Islands are detached areas physically and readily detached politically, though insularity gives them some measure of protection. Their relatively small size and consequently small populations make them easy victims for a conquering sea power, and easy to hold in subjection. The security of an island habitat against aggression therefore, increases with its size, its efficiency in naval warfare, and its degree of isolation, the last of which factors depends in turn upon its location as the Lassacor Oceanic, islands of enclosed seas, necessarily small and never far from the close encircling lands.
are engulfed by every tide of conquest emanating from the nearby shores. Pizel and Dago have been held in succession by every Baltic power, by the Teutonic orders, Denmark, Sweden and Russia. Gotland has acknowledged allegiance to the Hanseatic League, to Denmark and Sweden. Sardinia, occupying the center of the western Mediterranean, has figured in a varied series of political combinations, with ancient Carthage, Rome, the Saracens of North Africa, with Sicily, Pisa, Aragon, Piedmont, and finally now with United Italy, to the land-bred Teutonic hordes which swept over Western Europe in the early centuries of our era. A narrow strip of sea was some protection for Sicily, Corsica, Sardinia, Malta and the Balearic Isles. Hence we find these islands slow in succumbing to their non-maritime conquerors, and readily regained by the energetic Justinian. Later they fell victim to the sea-wise Saracens, but again gravitated back to their closer and more natural European connections. More often the small area of an island facilitates its retention in bondage, when the large and less isolated continental districts have thrown off an unwelcome yoke. Athens, with her strong navy, found it an easy task to whip back into the ranks of the Delian Confederacy her recalcitrant island subjects like Nexos, Samos and Phasos, but her mutinous cities in peninsular Chalcidice and Isthmian Megara, incited to a revolt and aided by their neighbors, were less at her mercy. This principle was recognized by Thucydides, and taken advantage of by the Lacedaemonians during the Great War for Spartan supremacy. England has been able to hold Ireland in a vice, of all her former French territory. She retains only the Channel Isles. Cuba and Puerto Rico remained in the crushing grasp of Spain 64 years after Mexico and the continental states of Central and South America, by mutual help and encouragement, had secured independence. The islands found that the isolation which confers protection from outside aggression meant for them detachment from friendly sources of succor on the mainland. The desultory help of filibuster expeditions, easily checked at the port of departure or landing, availed little to supplement the inadequate forces of rebellion pent up on their relatively small areas. By contrast, Mexico's larger area and population, continually stirred by American example and encouragement, reinforced by American volunteers and even by United States Army officers, found revolt from 1812 to 1824 a comparatively easy task. Cuba suffered from its geographic aloofness, so did Little Crete, which submitted to Turkish oppression 60 years after the continental Greeks had made good their claim to freedom. Nor was this the first time that Cretan liberty had suffered from the detachment of an island environment. Aristotle recognized the principle when he wrote, the people of Crete have hitherto submitted to the rule of the leading families as Cosme, because the insular situation of Crete cuts off the interference of strangers or foreigners which might stir up rebellion against the unjust or partial government. And then he adds that this insular exclusion of outside incitement long rendered the fidelity of the Perioesi or serf-like peasants of Crete a striking contrast to the uneasy spirit of the Spartan helots, who were constantly stirred to a revolt by the free farmers of Orgos, Messenia and Arcadia. Thus ancient like modern Crete missed those beneficent stimuli which penetrate a land frontier, but are cut off by the absolute boundary of the sea. Island fragments of broken empires are found everywhere. They figure conspicuously in that scattered location indicative of declining power. Little Street Care and Miquelon are the last geographical evidences of France's former dominion in Canada. The English Bermudas and Bahamas point back to the time when Great Britain held the long-drawn opposite coast. The British. French. Dutch, Danish, as once even Swedish, 
Holdings in the Lesser Antilles are island monuments to a lost continental domains, as recently were Cuba and Puerto Rico to Spain's once vast American empire. Of Portugal's widespread dominion in the Orient there remain to her only the island fragments of Timor, Kimming, Macau and Dew, besides two coastal points on the western face of peninsular India. All the former continental holdings of the Sultan of Zanzibar have been absorbed into the neighboring German and British territories, and only the islands of Zanzibar and Pemba remain to him by the temporary indulgence of his strong neighbors. The Sheik of the Bahrain Islands originally held also the large kingdom of El Hesse on the nearby Persian Gulf littoral of Arabia, but he lost this to the Turks in 1840, and now retains the Bahrain Islands as the residuum of his former territories. The insular remnants of empires are tolerated because their small size, when unsupported by important location, usually renders them innocuous, and their geographic isolation removes them from international entanglements, unless some far-reaching anthropogeographic readjustment lends them a new strategic or commercial importance. The construction of the Suez Canal gave England a motive for the acquisition of Cyprus in 1878, as a nearer base than Malta for the protection of Port Said. Just as the present Panama Canal project led the United States to array open negotiations for the purchase of the Danish Isles, one cannot get away from the impression that the law of political detachability will operate again to make some new distribution of the party-colored political holdings in the Lesser Antilles. The small size of these islands, and their philosophic location commanding approaches to a large region of only partially developed resources and to the interoceanic pass while across it will pitch them into the dice box on the occasion of every naval war between their sovereign powers. The shifting fate of political detachability becomes moderated in islands of the open ocean, because of their remoteness from the colonizing or conquering movements emanating from the continents. In contrast to the changing political connections of Thalassic Isles, consider the calm or monotonous political history of outlying islands like the Shetland, Faroes, Iceland, Canaries, Madeira, Cape Verde, Azores. St. Helena, Ascension and Hawaii, the Norse colony of Iceland, as a republic, maintained loose connections with its mother country from 874 to 1264, then for nearly six centuries it followed the political fate of Norway till 1814, when an oversight left it in the hands of Denmark on the dissolution of the Union of Denmark and Norway. The Azores have known no history except that which came to them from Portugal, even their discovery goes back to a Saracen navigator who, in 1147, sailed from the mouth of the Tagus a thousand miles straight into the sunset. For 200 years thereafter extreme isolation kept them outside the pale of history till their rediscovery by Prince Henry, the navigator. Land masses, as we have found, are independent by location or independent by size. Large islands, especially where they occupy an outskirt location, may long succeed in maintaining an independent national existence, but to render this permanent, they must supplement their area by the acquisition of continental lands, according to the law of increasing territorial aggregates. Great Britain and Japan, though ethnically and culturally appendages of the nearby mainland, were large enough, aided by the dividing sea, to maintain political autonomy. They absorbed all the insular fragments lying about them to extend their areas, and then each in turn entered upon a career of continental expansion. To Japan this movement as a determined policy came late. Only when she faced the alternative of absorbing territory or being absorbed by all devouring Russia, the isolation of Madagascar resulted in only slight community of race with Africa, and combined with large area, has kept the island to a great extent distinct from the political history of Africa.
the impulses which swept the eastern coast of the continent reached the outlying island with abated force. Arab, Portuguese, Dutch and English only scratched its rim. The character of its western coasts, of its vigorous Malayan population, and of the intervening Mozambique current rendered conquest difficult from the African shore. Its large size, with the promise of abundant resources, offered a bait to conquest, yet put a barrier in its way. Hence we find that not till 1895, when the partition of continental Africa was almost accomplished, did the French conquest of Madagascar occur. By contrast, the closely grouped East Indies, long coveted for their tropical products, suffered a contagion of conquest. The large size of these islands, so far from granting them immunity, only enabled the epidemic of Portuguese and Dutch dominion to pass from one to the other more readily and that even when the spice and pepper trade languished from a plethora of products, but even here the size of the islands, plus the sub-equatorial climate which bars genuine white colonization, has restricted the effective political dominion of Europeans to the coasts, and thus favored the survival of the natives undisturbed in the interior, with all their primitive institutions, the largest islands, like Borneo and Sumatra, had vast inland tracts still unexplored and devoted to savagery, thus illustrating the contrast between center and periphery, when Australia, the largest of all the Pacific Island group, became an object of European expansion, its temperate and subtropical location adapted it for white colonization, and the easy task of conquering its weak and retarded native tribes encouraged its appropriation, but the natural autonomy which belongs to a large area and detached location asserted itself in the history of British Australia. The island continent is now erected into a confederation of states, enjoying virtual independence. In New Zealand, we find the recent colonists taking advantage of their isolation to work out and disturb certain unique social theories. Here, against a background of arrested and original development, another race evinces a radical spirit of progress, and to these contrasted results equally the detached island environment has contributed its share. The historical development of island peoples bears always in greater or less degree the stamp of isolation, but this isolation may lead to opposite cultural results. It may mean in one case retardation, in another accelerated development. Its geographical advantages are distinctly relative, increasing rapidly with a rising scale of civilization. Therefore in an island habitat the race factor may operate with or against the geographic factor in producing a desirable historical result. If the isolation is almost complete, the cultural status of the inhabitants low, and therefore their need of stimulation from without very great, the lack of it will sink them deeper in barbarism than their kinsmen on the mainland. The Negroes of Africa, taken as a whole, occupy a higher economic and cultural rank than the black races of Australia and Melanesia, and for this difference one cause at least is to be found in the difference of their habitats. The knowledge of iron, stock raising, and many branches of agriculture were continental achievements, which belonged to the great eastern land mass and spread from Egypt over Africa even to the Hottentot country, the lack of them among the Australians must be attributed to their insularity, which barred them from this knowledge, just as the ignorance of iron and other metals among the native Canary Islanders can only be ascribed to a sea barrier 52 miles wide. The scant acquaintance of the Balearic Islanders with iron in Roman days points to an insular detachment. The lack of native domesticable animals in the Pacific archipelagos illustrates another limitation incident to the restricted fauna of islands, though this particular lack also retarded the cultural development of primitive North America. On the other hand, 
people who have already secured the fundamental elements of civilization find the partial seclusion of an island environment favorable to their further progress, because it permits their powers to unfold and hindered, protects them from the friction of border quarrels, from the disturbance and desolation of invading armies, to which continental peoples are constantly exposed. But even here the advantage lies in insulation but not in isolation. In a location like that of England or Japan, near enough to a continent to draw dense culture, commerce and occasional new strains of blood, but detached by sea-girt boundaries broad enough to ward off overwhelming aggressions, such a location ensures enough segregation for protection, but also opportunity for universal contact over the vast commons of the sea. Excessive isolation may mean impoverishment in purse and progress even for an advanced race. Ireland has long suffered from its outskirt location. It lies too much in the shadow of England, and has been barred by the larger island from many warming rays of immigration, culture and commerce that would have vitalized its national existence. The Round Barrow, men of the Bronze Age, the Romans, and the Normans never carried thither their respective contributions to civilization. The Scandinavians infused into its population only inconsiderable strains of their vigorous northern blood. In consequence the Irish are today substantially the same race as in Caesar's time, except for the small, and a similar group of antagonistic English and Lowland Scotch, both Teutonic, in Ulster, barred by Great Britain from direct contact with the continent and all its stimulating influences, suffering from unfavorable conditions of climate and topography. Ireland's political evolution progressed at a snail's pace. It tarried in the tribal stage till after the English conquest, presenting a primitive social organization such as existed nowhere in continental Europe. Property was communal till the time of the Tudors, and all law was customary. Overprotected by excessive isolation, it failed to learn the salutary lesson of political company operation and centralization for defense, such as Scotland learned from England's aggressions and England from her close continental neighbors, Great Britain, meanwhile, intercepted the best that the continent had to give, both blows and blessings, and found an advantage in each. The steady prosecution of her continental wars demanded the gradual erection of a standing army, which weakened the power of feudalism, and the voting of funds for the conduct of these same wars put a whip into the hand of Parliament. The history of Iceland illustrates the advantage and subsequently the drawback of isolation. The energetic spirits who, at the end of the 9th century, resented the centralization of political power in Norway and escaped from the turmoil and oppression of the home country to the remote asylum offered by Iceland, maintained there till 1260 to the only absolutely free republic in the world. They had brought with them various seeds of culture and progress, which grew and flowered richly in this peaceful soil. Iceland became the center of brilliant maritime and colonial achievements the home of a native literature which surpassed that of all its contemporaries except Dante's Italy, but after, 